and everything had gone quite smoothly to the children in equal shares. The third reason why Susan's burial made little stir was the most expansive of all. It was summed up daringly by Euphemia, the pale, the thin. Well, I think people have a right to their own bodies, even when they're dead. Coming from a daughter of Nicholas, a liberal of the old school and most tyrannical, it was a startling remark, showing in a flash what a lot of water had run under bridges since the death of Aunt Anne in eighty-six, just when the proprietorship of Soames over his wife's body was acquiring the uncertainty which had led to such disaster. Euphemia, of course, spoke like a child and had no experience, for though well over thirty by now, her name was still Foresight. But making all allowances, her remark did undoubtedly show expansion of the principle of liberty, decentralization, and shift in the central point of possession from others to oneself. When Nicholas heard his daughter's remark from Aunt Hester, he had rapped out, "'Wives and daughters, there's no end to their liberty in these days. I knew that Jackson case would lead to things, lugging in habeas corpus like that.' He had, of course, never really forgiven the Married Woman's Property Act, which would so have interfered with him if he had not mercifully married before it was passed. But in truth, there was no denying the revolt among the younger Forsytes against being owned by others, that, as it were, colonial disposition to own oneself— which is the paradoxical forerunner of imperialism, was making progress all the time. They were all now married except George, confirmed to the Turf and the Iceum Club, Francie pursuing her musical career in a studio off the King's Road, Chelsea, and still taking lovers to dances, Euphemia living at home and complaining of Nicholas, and those two Dromeos, Giles and Jesse Heyman. Of the third generation there were not very many. Young Jolyon had three, Winifred Darty four, Young Nicholas six already, young Roger had one, Marion Tweetyman one, St. John Heyman two, but the rest of the sixteen married, Soames, Rachel, and Cicely of James' family, Eustace and Thomas of Rogers, Ernest, Archibald, and Florence of Nicholas's, Augustus and Annabel Spender of the Heymans, were going down the years unreproduced. Thus of the ten old Forsytes, twenty-one young Forsytes had been born. But of the twenty-one young Forsytes, there were as yet only seventeen descendants, and it already seemed unlikely that there would be more than a further unconsidered trifle or so. A student of statistics must have noticed that the birth rate had varied in accordance with the rate of interest for your money. Grandfather Superior Dossett Forsyte, in the early nineteenth century, had been getting ten percent for his, hence ten children. Those ten, leaving out the four who had not married, and Julie, whose husband Septimus Small had of course died almost at once, had averaged from four to five percent for theirs and produced accordingly. The twenty-one whom they produced were now getting barely three percent, in the consuls to which their father had mostly tied the settlements they made to avoid death duties, and the six of them who had been reproduced had seventeen children, or just the proper two and five-six per stem. There were other reasons, too, for this mild reproduction. A distrust of their earning powers, natural where sufficiency is guaranteed, together with the knowledge that their fathers did not die, kept them cautious. If one had children and not much income, the standard of taste and comfort must of necessity go down. What was enough for two was not enough for four, and so on. It would be better to wait and see what father did. Besides, it was nice to be able to take holidays unhampered. Sooner, in fact, than own children, they preferred to concentrate on the ownership of themselves, conforming to the growing tendency, fin de siècle, as it was called, in this way little risk was run, and one would be able to have a motor-car. Indeed, Eustace already had one, 
but it had shaken him horribly and broken one of his eye teeth, so that it would be better to wait till they were a little safer. In the meantime, no more children. Even young Nicholas was drawing in his horns, and had made no addition to his six for quite three years. The corporate decay, however, of the Forsytes, their dispersion, rather, of which all this was symptomatic, had not advanced so far as to prevent a rally when Roger Forsythe died in 1899. It had been a glorious summer, and after holidays abroad and at the sea they were practically all back in London, when Roger, with a touch of his old originality, had suddenly breathed his last at his own house in Prince's Gardens. At Timothy's it was whispered sadly that poor Roger had always been eccentric about his digestion. Had he not, for instance, preferred German mutton to all the other brands? Be that as it may, his funeral at Highgate had been perfect, and coming away from it, Soames foresight made almost mechanically for his Uncle Timothy's in the Bayswater Road. The old things...